This is a teaching from Grace River Church in O'Fallon, Missouri. Our prayer is that this sermon will help inspire you to take the next step of your faith with Jesus Christ. Hey, what's up? My name is Chris Highfield. I'm lead pastor here at Grace River Church. And I want to say thank you so much for watching Church Online at Home. We are uh, on week three of a new sermon series uh, called Joy to Your World. And so we're talking about how it is that we can bring joy to our world in the month of December. Uh, this is the birthday month of our Savior Jesus and for whatever reason, uh, this can be a month that's really, really down. And so, man, I want to encourage you uh, to find joy during the holiday season. So that's my hope uh, that you take a next step today as you meet, know, and follow Jesus. But before we jump into the talk today, I want to tell you about our Christmas Eve services coming up uh, on December 23rd at 6 o'clock and December 24th at 1.33 and 4.30 online at 4.30 as well. I want to tell you about these services. I want to encourage you to show up and don't show up alone, man. This is going to be a great opportunity to invite a friend. You can go to our Facebook page, Instagram. You can go to our website at graceriver.cc forward slash Christmas. There's all kinds of opportunities to invite people to Christmas Eve. Let's leverage this moment to invite people uh, to meet, know, and follow Jesus. My threefold pastor promise to you is this, is that if you invite a friend to Christmas Eve services, they're going to have a really great time. We're going to have fun that night. Uh, they're going to hear the gospel and get a chance to respond to it. So that's my commitment to you. We're not going to have any cringy moments. It's going to be a fun service for every age level. Uh, they're going to absolutely love it. We're going to have child care, pre-K, and down. Uh, so we'll have children's ministry happening for that. Uh, we're going to have elementary kids here in the auditorium. It's going to be an absolute blast. You will not want to miss it. Christmas Eve services, uh, December 23rd and 24th. Uh, December 23rd at 6, and then on the 24th at 1.33 and 4.30. And so we've added service times uh, so we can accommodate more people. If you're looking for a spot to serve, uh, you can actually go to our website and sign up to serve as well. So there's plenty of serving opportunities. You can go to graceriver.cc forward slash next steps. That's a way for you to be able to serve uh, at Christmas and beyond as well. And I want to give you a quick I'm in update. Uh, we are only $21,000 from our 600,000 I'm in goal. And so uh, you should have gotten a letter in the mail or something like that if you attend Grace River. Uh, and so we're, we're putting it all in on our year-end offering. And so we really believe uh, that as a result of our year-end offering, we're going to go over uh, our goal. And so, man, if God has put it on your heart uh, to give to Grace River in our I'm In initiative, uh, which is the initiative that's going to allow us to be able to expand our building one day, if God's put that on your heart to help future generations meet, know, and follow Jesus, then I want to really encourage you Really think about uh, giving a year-end gift uh, back to God here at Grace River Church so we can meet this goal, uh, our what-if goal of $600,000. And so uh, I can't wait to celebrate the, in the first few weeks of January what it is that God did here. And I want to say thank you in advance for everyone that has given online uh, or in person to I'm in up until this point. I'm, we're standing in the building that we're in today because of your generosity. And so thank you so much. Uh, for all that you've done and all that you're going to do. I'm so grateful to pastor such a generous church. So let's dive into Philippians chapter 3 today. And, and I want to just start by asking you questions about your, your habits. And so what, uh, how, we're going to talk really today about how to make joy a habit in your life. But what are the daily habits that you have? You know, one of my daily habits is I, one of the first things that I do when I wake up is I drink coffee. That's, that's a daily habit for me. And sometimes I'm drinking coffee as I drive my kids to school and I spill it on myself. That happens pretty frequently, so much so that it feels like it's a habit. But man, for you, which by the way, side note, always puts me in a really great mood when I put spilled coffee on myself. I just want to say I'm so joyful when I spill coffee on myself, but it almost feels like an absolute daily habit 
that I'm doing it. And so I don't know if you're like me and you've been watching this joy series for a little bit, but it kind of challenges you on things like joy and makes you kind of question and wonder, like, am I really a joyful person? Well, you can actually build in the habit of joy. And so whether that's drinking coffee or watching a TV show that you watch every morning or every day, you can actually build in joy into your life. Uh, But it, it takes some strategy and it takes really doing it on purpose and being like super intentional, making a decision to say, man, I'm going to be a person uh, that creates habits of joy in my life. And so I asked some questions before we go any further, uh, and we're going to dive into Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 here in a second. But how can joy be a default setting in my life? You know, our computers and our phones kind of have default settings. When you turn them on, uh, they, they open up, and that's just the default setting. I think sometimes for us, we wake up with a default setting. And, and oftentimes, if we're going to be honest, joy is not a part of the default setting. Uh, and instead, joy uh, is something that we have to be intentional about. But what if it was the default? And the second thing is, what if joy had less to do with the things I do uh, than the person that it is that I'm becoming? And so what if joy was more about who you're becoming and not so much about the things that you do? We've talked about this in the last two weeks, but happiness is all about my circumstances. And joy is all about what's happening inside of me uh, internally. And so, man, I wonder today... Are you basing your life on happiness, which isn't a bad thing, or are you basing your life on joy, which is something that you find inside of you? And so the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians to a church in Philippi, and he wanted these people in this church to experience joy. He opens up in chapter 3, verse 1, and says, whatever happens, which I think is really key here. Uh, If you were like reading this in your Bible, you could easily miss it. But, you know, anytime somebody says whatever happens, they're, they're bracing you usually for whatever's going to happen. Sometimes whatever happens is a good thing, and sometimes whatever happens is a bad thing. But he's saying, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. So no matter what happens, whether it's a mountaintop moment or whether it's a valley moment, our job is to rejoice in God, to find joy in everything, in what it is that happens, whatever happens. So today, if you're going through a divorce, I want you to know you can find joy, whatever happens. Uh, If you've recently lost your job or had a big job change happen, what Paul would say to you is, man, whatever happens. If you recently didn't get the health diagnosis that you wanted, it's whatever happens, right? Uh, if, If people aren't loving you the way that you would love to be loved, Paul says, man, hey, whatever happens here, right? I never get tired of telling you these things and I do it so I safeguard your faith. I think what happens for a lot of us though is that we treat our faith kind of like a parachute. Uh, Can you imagine if you, Ray Comfort gives this really great illustration about a parachute uh, and what we do with our faith sometimes is imagine if I gave you a parachute to wear on on the next flight that you go on. You mean you you board a Southwest plane, it's kind of awkward because you put a parachute on And it's kind of annoying because every bump that you hit, uh, you just can't seem to get comfortable. uh, And you got some bigger person next to you maybe or somebody that's hogging the armrest and you get your awkward parachute on. And it just makes the whole ride, the whole plane ride, really awkward and really weird. And you kind of just feel like, man, this is kind of a burden. This isn't something that I'm full of joy with. And a lot of us treat our faith kind of like that. Uh, we, We treat our faith like we're like we're on a plane with a parachute and we don't really need it. Like we're just like, I don't need this thing. This is super annoying. And if I didn't have it, then my life would feel a whole lot less restricted. 
Well, here's where the illustration gets interesting, and it's this. It's what if as you're boarding the plane, the stewardess looks at you and hands you a parachute and says, hey, about halfway through this flight, this plane is going down. Halfway through it, we're all gonna have to jump out of this plane. Doesn't that change your perspective about the parachute? Because all of a sudden, instead of thinking that it's annoying every bump, uh, you cling on to the parachute because you know this parachute is going to save your life. So what Paul is saying here is this, is that whatever happens, cling on to your faith. Like whatever happens, don't allow the circumstances of life to let you lose focus on what your life is really about. Your life is about this. There was a God who came to rescue you. And so let's stop treating our faith like it's a crutch, like it's holding us back, like it's keeping us from something. And instead, let's look at our faith and go, man, I am so blown away that there would be a God who would provide a way for me and for you to be right with him. And so that's really what Paul is trying to get here at Philippians chapter three. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it, and this is an illustration that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus is talking to his disciples and said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. So he gives this illustration, Jesus does, of a person who listens to his teaching and does what he says to do. He tells them the rain is going to come. And then he goes on to say in verses 26 through 27, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. Like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Some of us have bought this lie that if I do better and try harder, that it's gonna rain less in my life. Like that, and what rain is, rain is the metaphor uh, that, that I'm gonna have bad days. So some of us have bought this idea of prosperity where it's like, hey, if I obey God enough and do enough right things, if I act holy enough, if I do this, then that means that God is gonna make it really sunny in my life every day. And that's not the story that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter seven the rain is coming. And really, this whole thing really isn't even about the weather. It's about what it is that you build your life on. And our hope here at Grace River is that you're not building your life on your circumstances. Because if you are, that's not bedrock. That's sand. And when the rain comes, if I'm building my life off of happiness, the rain is going to come and I'm going to be a super unhappy person. Instead, I can be a person of joy, but it's gonna take me being intentional about this. So this is not about the weather, it's about what we build our lives on. Is your life, here's the question, is your life built on joy? Or is it built and centered around something else? And so back to Philippians chapter two, verses, verses three through two, watch out for those dogs. And again, uh, in this context, uh, a dog would not have been an animal somebody would bring at home. Uh, a dog would have been uh, something, if you called someone a dog, uh, that would not be a positive thing, okay? Uh, dogs during this time period were not domesticated. They were, uh, they were to be left outside. Uh, they dug through trash. Dogs were dangerous, and so that's important to understand. And it was kind of offensive in this culture uh, for someone to be called a dog. So watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those uh, mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. And so what he's doing is, He's talking to a group of people that are trying to blend the Old Testament law uh, and grace together. 
And so they're trying to take the best of both worlds. What they grew up with was follow all of these rules, follow the Torah, the first five books of the Bible and all the laws in it. And one of them happened to be that you had to be circumcised if you were a man. He says, don't listen to those mutilators. For, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. So Paul is saying here, listen, it's not about, uh, it's not about achievement. For far too many of us, we've made our faith about what I can do for God. And that puts us in a really bad place because that means that we don't end up depending on grace. What he says here is this, is that we put no confidence in human effort. And when he's talking about a circumcision of the heart, what he's talking about here, he says, the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. So he's not talking about a physical circumcision, but he's talking instead about what it means to live a changed life because of what it is that God has done for us. And so we go on to see, uh, though I could have confidence in my own effort. So Paul is saying, if anybody has confidence in their effort, it's me. Uh, so Paul was a Pharisee. Paul would have been a, a religious elite leader. And he says, man, if anybody has confidence in their own effort, it's me. Indeed, if others have a reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Paul's saying this, if we're taking stock in someone's human effort of being a religious person, Paul says, that's me. Like I could have done that. I was the part of the religious elite. So our relationship with God has nothing to do with our ability to make ourselves holy. I'm going to say that again. Your relationship and my relationship with God has nothing to do uh, with the, uh, our own ability to make ourselves holy. And that's part of the problem. You and I are looking for joy and satisfaction in this relationship with God. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to do it in our own strengths and our own ability. And if that was the case, then you wouldn't need God. That's the problem is if you are going to defeat sin, if you're gonna defeat the struggles in your life, you, my friend, are not going to be able to do it. It's gonna require God's power in your life, not your own power. And that may just be the thing that you needed to hear today. Because the reality is far too many of us are trying to do it in our own strength and our own abilities. And so joy doesn't come from being good enough or from following rules. You think about it, rules never changed anyone. It's never been about, oh man, you ever see a speed limit sign and go, wow, uh, that changed my life. Or maybe there was a new rule at work and you were like, wow, uh, now I'm gonna live this really transformed life. Rules were never designed uh, to fix us. And so uh, if my life is all about rules, one of two things is gonna happen. Either I'm gonna become arrogant and prideful or I'm gonna live a life of guilt and shame. It's one of those two extremes. If my faith is about rules, and you've met people like this, and maybe you've even been in this spot, or maybe that's even you right now, is if it's about rules, then you go, okay, I got this big checklist, and I follow these rules every single day, and then you look at other people, you know what I'm talking about, the people that aren't following the rules, and you go, man, I am so much better off than them. And I want you to know, if that's you, that, that's not godly just so you know. And so uh, that's what we call legalism, and, which is this idea that I can make myself right with God by my own abilities. And I want you to know you can't do that. Or you're the other extreme and you feel beat down by the rules. You look at the expectations that you think God has for you 
and you know that you can never live up to it. And because of your past and because of the, your present and the difficult circumstances that you're in, man, the weight of guilt and shame is in your life, something that you're carrying with you every single day. And I want you to know that your life doesn't have to be about either of these two. That instead you can say, you know what, it's because of the finished work on the cross, that's the only reason that I can be right with God. And so holiness doesn't come from, from me. It's not about what I do on the outside. We, we often think, man, if I can just uh, give enough money, right? If I can just be nice enough, if I can just show up to church enough times, if I can just walk enough old ladies across the street, then holiness is gonna happen. But here's the thing. Holiness doesn't come from what I do on the outside. You know where holiness comes from? Holiness comes from the person of Jesus. That's it. Jesus, period. That's where holiness comes from. And, ho- and as a result of Jesus, it only comes from you being close to him. Relationally close to Jesus, that's the only way you and I can become holy. It's not about what I do. It's about who I'm with. And so I wonder today, who is it that are you with? Um, I don't have a, a, a white jacket, but I've got a picture of one. And, um, you know, the amazing thing about Jesus is that he lived his whole life and never got mud on his jacket. Um, he lived an entire life that was pure. But you and I, we can't relate with that because if we had a white jacket, and I don't know if you have a white jacket or not, but if we had a white jacket, what would happen to our white jacket, white jacket symbolically is through life, you and I have done things that we have regret about, that we have shame about, that we have guilt about, and all that could really be symbolic of wearing a white jacket and getting mud on it. But I'm not even talking about like a spot of mud. I'm talking about smearing mud on your white jacket. Like you and I have so many faults in our lives, so much brokenness that it's like we're taking mud and we're smearing it all over this white jacket. And that's how we live our lives. We live our life smearing this, this mud. And sometimes what we try to do is we try to clean it off ourselves, but there's not enough Clorox that we could ever muster up to get the mud off our jacket. Like we try to do good works and try to do good things to get the mud off our jacket. And it just doesn't work. And we're trying to impress other people and do these things. But the reality is we know that they also have a white jacket that has mud all over it as well. But The amazing thing about Jesus, we learned this in Philippians chapter two, is that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. So his jacket, he lived his whole life and his jacket never got mud on it. So what's incredible is, is that the end of Jesus's life, he goes to the cross for me and for you. You know what he does with his white jacket? He takes his white jacket and he gives it to us. And He who knew no sin became sin for us. So he took our dirty jacket, put it on himself and put himself on the cross. And he died for me and he died for you. So now you and I don't have to walk around with a dirty jacket. You and I don't have to walk around trying to get the mud off our jacket ourselves. Instead, now we get to embrace grace. We don't have to live a life based on on, on pride and arrogance. We don't have to live a life based on guilt and shame. Instead, we get to live a life holy and blameless, not, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us. So the secret to joy is not learning to be stronger against my sin. It's being closer to Jesus. What's incredible is, is the closer I get to Jesus, uh, the more I'm able to defeat sin. The further I am away from him, 
the more difficult it becomes. So it's really about proximity. Then we see in verse five, he says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. So this, he's like, this is him kind of like uh, doing some weird flex here, like uh, with the church in Philippi, letting them know if anybody could count on their good works, it was him. He says, I was pure blooded citizen of Israel. Uh, and, and as a member of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, a, he's, a, he's like, I'm a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees. He's, he's given his resume here, resume here his resume of, of quote unquote holiness who demands that the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. So he says, hey, I was very religious. He says, I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So he was saying this, listen, I followed all the rules to a T, but yet there was still something missing. And he talks about that here in verse nine. He says, and he became one with him. He says, I no longer count on my own righteousness though. Uh, through, through obeying the law. Rather, I became righteous through faith in Christ for God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. He says, what I want you to know, I want you to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want you to suffer with him. And there's that suffering thing again. How can I find joy in suffering? Paul says, I want you to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, man, I want you to experience all of this. I want your joy to be made full. So I will be happy if I do all of this stuff. Paul says, no, it's not about all the stuff that you can do. In fact, he goes on to later say that he counts all that stuff as rubbish, that none of it's worth it. So it's not about all the stuff that you can do. It's not about your religious pedigree. It's not about where you go to church or if you've been baptized or if you tithe or if you're in a small group or if you've done discipleship. It's not about all that stuff. Paul says the entire thing is bogus. Joy is remembering this. So these are some next steps for you today. Joy is remembering that God is good even when life is hard. That man, there are gonna be things that come our way that are gonna be difficult, but here's the thing. God is good even when life's circumstances aren't. Uh, that I don't beat sin by trying to be uh, by trying harder, but getting closer to Jesus. Man, maybe today is a day for you to recognize that it's not about what you've done, it's not about what you even do uh, that gets you closer to Jesus. It's not about the stuff I do for God. It's about my proximity to the Savior. Maybe your next step is realizing that my relationship with God can't be ruined by my dysfunction. Some of you think that there's going to be a moment when God just stops loving you. And I want you to know your relationship with God is not based off of the fact that, that you're functional or dysfunctional. Um, God loves you uh, regardless, and it's not about your performance, but also his strength will be proven through my weakness. The moment you realize that you can't do it on your own is the moment that God gets to move into your heart. And I wonder if that's your moment today. Like if you're really at the place where you recognize that, hey, I can't do this anymore, on my own. Joy becomes a habit when my pain moves me closer to Jesus. And I wonder today, would you allow that to happen? Would you allow your pain to move you closer to the person of Jesus? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's, of course, you're driving. Don't do that then. And I just want to pray for you today, no matter where you find yourself today, maybe today's the day that you exchange your dirty jacket for a clean one. Maybe today's the day that you say for the first time yes to making Jesus the Lord of your life. You've made it about what you can do and now it's time to make it about what he's done. Or maybe today's the day for you to, to maybe, maybe you got a white jacket a long time ago and, and God, God saved you, he redeemed you, but it's been a long time since you've recognized that it was him that did it. 
you're here today and it's been a long time, would you just pray and say, man, like I need to make my life about him again. But maybe you're here and you've never prayed a prayer like that at all. Maybe you've never talked to him at all and just had an honest moment with him. If that's you, we can have that honest moment right now. And it looks like a prayer like this. When I think about a prayer like this, it's really just a letter back to God. And it's like this. God, I'm sorry for what my life's been about. And today I accept that I'm broken. That my jacket's got some mud on it. And God, today I believe that you sent your only son to come for the great exchange. My dirty life for his clean life. My hurts for his holiness. My unrighteousness and his righteousness. And God, today, I confess you and only you to be the Lord of my life. That Jesus came for me and that he is the Lord and the Savior of my life. Help me to live every day of my life for you and not for myself. Thank you for saving me and making me a Christian. It's in Jesus' name that we pray all this. Amen. Thanks again for listening. We would love to see you at one of our in-person services that meet on Sunday at 8.30, 9.45, and 11 a.m. If you feel so inclined to give, you can do so at www.graceriver.cc. Have a great week.